Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Uh, today, we continue our sermon series called The Way. Depending on how long you've been here, this is either week two of this sermon series for you or it's week 37. I'll let you decide where you are on the process. We started in July of 2020. All we are doing is walking with Jesus. We're walking with Jesus, and as he walks through his world, we are just kind of calling ourselves part of his traveling party. We're leaning into, what is he really saying? How does that apply to me? What does he mean by that? That's what we're doing. Today, we're in Luke chapter 21. Jesus has shown up in Jerusalem. He is claiming his kingdom. He's kind of in the center of the world, as it was known. And we're asking, what's he up to? What's he doing? What's he saying? And so let's just lean in. Luke chapter 21, verse 37. It tells us what he's doing. It says, Jesus spent his days in the temple teaching, but his nights on the mountain called Olives. And all the people were up at the crack of dawn to come to the temple and listen to him. Okay, so this is an interesting place to start. We got to get a sense for what he's up to. It it would stand to reason, too, if he's teaching and he's only got a couple days left to live, I'd kind of be interested to know what he's talking about. What is drawing such crowds? He knows, and they don't know, the people with him, this traveling party isn't quite sure what's happening yet, but but he knows in three days he's going to be arrested, tortured, and executed. So he's camping out in the temple. He's got crowds hanging on his every word. And so Let's press in with the crowd and listen to what it is he's teaching. Verse 8 of chapter 21, Jesus said, Watch out for the doomsday deceivers. Many leaders are going to show up with forged identities, claiming I'm the one or the end is near. Don't fall for any of that. When you hear of wars or uprisings, keep your head. Don't panic. This is routine history and no sign of the end. And he went on, nation will fight nation, and ruler will fight ruler over and over. Huge earthquakes will occur in various places. There will be famines, and you'll think at times that the very sky is falling. So he's saying this is not the signal of the end. This is not the day of judgment coming just because these guys are going to war, and just because this famine happens, just because the earth's shaking over. That's not necessarily like my second coming and the whole thing is falling apart. It's not that. But he says there is that day coming. So, so don't be deceived into thinking everything is that, but don't forget that there is one of those coming as well. Verse 34, but be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled by parties and drinking and shopping. Otherwise, that day is going to take you by complete surprise. Spring on you suddenly like a trap. It's going to come for everyone, everywhere, at once. So whatever you do, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Pray constantly that you'll have the strength and wits to make it through everything that's coming and end up on your feet before the Son of Man. Jesus says, be on guard. Keep watch. Don't panic. Keep your head. He's saying, don't be dulled by the monotony of life. There's the monotony and the mundane things of life, the everyday, the Tuesday afternoon. Don't be dulled by that. Don't let it steal your urgency. Don't, don't let the momentary deceivers and the end-of-day distractors, don't let the people slinging nonsense get you off your game. You are not here for that. You've been called to something higher. 
Jesus is reminding us, you've been called to something higher, but be aware because there is a force set against you that is here to get you off your game. Verse 16, who are these people? He said, you'll even be turned in by parrots, opposed by brothers, relatives, friends. Some of you will be killed. There's no telling who will hate you because of me. Even so, even so, every detail of your body and soul, even the hairs on your head is in my care. Nothing of you will be lost. So he says, staying with it. That's what's required. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry. You'll be saved. Jesus has called us, uh, we've said around here, to an upstream life, to a life spent swimming upstream. In a mainstream culture where everybody's headed one direction, Jesus says, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for you because I'm going to ask you to go the other way. We compared it to uh, fish. Uh, There's rainbow trout that are born in the Pacific Northwest, 98% of which stay rainbow trout. They stay in the streams. They stay in the streams. They stay in the streams. They're mainstream trout. They're fine. 2% become steelhead trout. And for some reason, they swim out to the ocean and then they spend the rest of their lives swimming upstream to get back to where they were born. And we've said that Christians, followers of Jesus, we've been called to be like those steelhead trout that though the mainstream life seems like that may be easier, that may be nice, for one reason or another, God has invited us into a different way and we will spend our lives kind of swimming against a, a current, swimming against a resistance. And it'll surprise you at times who's creating resistance, Jesus says. But it's clear, swimming is not easy. This swimming that we've been challenged to do, this upstream life is not going to be easy. But it's his way, and it's a good way. He's also saying that there are traps set against you. There are things to watch out for. If we're going to lean into the upstream idea just a little bit, if you'll humor me just a little bit, if we're upstream swimming, Jesus says there are some lures that have been set for you. You know what lures are? Lures. I'm not a great fisherman. Can I confess? I'm not good at fishing. I've caught fish. I like to fish. Not good at it. My wife and I, for about a six-month season, uh, we would take my day off. Kids are in school, and she'd come with me, and we would go fishing just to sort of explore this area and get to know new things, go to this pond or that river or this lake, and we just kind of like, hey, let's just figure out. And our excuse was we're going to go fishing. We'll pack a lunch. We'll figure it out. And uh, I'm not very good at it. She is objectively horrible at it. She's really bad. And she's not here today, so we're just going to just, she's getting reamed. It's going to be great. Um, And the way it worked out, what we learned when we go fishing is um, basically I get the pole ready, and then while I'm getting the pole ready, she's casting with the other one. And you think in a body of water, you can't find a lot of tree limbs, but she finds them. She finds them. And, And I spend all of my time untangling, unknotting, cutting lines, re, you know, all the things. And she just spends all of her time finding new ways to get things stuck. And we'd always go home with no fish. A lot of fun, maybe for her. She was like, fishing is great. I'm like, you know why? Because you're just sitting over there having fun and I'm feverishly redoing a thing and then handing you that. She's like, this one's stuck. And I'm like, take this one. I'll take care of that one and I'll fix this one. And she's like, oh, this one's stuck too. And I'm like, great, I just got this one right. And it was just kind of this cycle. And five hours later, we'd go home and I'd be like, that was really, we're not doing that anymore. What I know about lures is, is different lures work on different types of fish. I'm not real big on, I don't understand all the different lures, why this one, that one, this one reflects, and that one dances, and this one jigs, and I don't know. If it's not a worm, I don't know how it works. But it depends on the season, depends on the fish, depends on the species, depends on the weather. Is it sunny? Is it morning? What happens? People stand in the Maumee River, you're trying to catch walleye. I looked that up. I wonder how hard that is. There's a lot of options. 
You want the wally diver, the grub jig, the spinner bait? They're all the different options for the ways to catch a fish. These are the different lures you use to catch a walleye. What I think I'm learning is that there are endless number of ways to catch a fish. There's endless ways to catch a fish. And there are endless ways to lure a person on an upstream journey into giving up and joining the mainstream. So what we're saying today is beware the lures. I think what Jesus is saying to an upstream people is beware the lures because they are by definition subtle. They're designed to look like just any other minnow, any other fish, any other fly. They're designed to look that way. They don't look like evil or opposition. The things that are coming against us as followers of Christ do not always look like evil or opposition. And that's the very thing Jesus warns against. Look at what he mentions, deceptive people. If you, some of us, you can't help it sometimes, you go, okay, I can think of one or two of those. I know those in my life. It's not the deceptive people you can think of that you should be worried about. He mentions famines, which is like the chaos of the natural world, just things going sideways in the natural order. And whether that's Ukraine or migraines or hip pain or whatever, whatever you've got, this is kind of just the brokenness of human existence coming in and crashing into your world. Parties and drinking, he mentions. Okay, now we're getting a little more, more obvious. I know what that means, right? You know what that means. How many glasses of wine is that? Ooh. Oh, I don't know. I love that Eugene Peterson in this translation says shopping. It's so great. I don't think shopping was a big problem. I don't think the outlet malls in Jerusalem were real hopping back then. So that wasn't really the thing. But, but now that's become a huge thing for us. People buying things not because we need them, but because we need the little drip of dopamine they give us when we get it. Nothing wrong with a shopping trip. Nothing wrong with a glass of wine or a nice bourbon. Nothing wrong. The, the challenge for us is we try to figure out where, where's the line for some of these things. The challenge is where is that experience, where is that thing helping us escape our lived experience versus adding richness to our lived experience. You want to go and have an incredible Italian dinner and it's your anniversary and you have a glass of red wine and everything is elevated by that glass of red wine. That's enhancing your lived experience. That's God's richness on display. That's his gift to you. You want to have seven of them because you're sick of the week and it's Friday night and you're finally able to check out. Well, different. Same thing, same neutral substance applied differently. They're they're called lures because they're subtle. Deceptive people, life drama, retail therapy, it's all harmless until it's not. So be real for a minute and hear what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying there is opposition in the world around you. There is opposition to the life you've been called to. And the Bible is very clear. This is an unseen war that is happening in our midst no tanks or fighter jets. In fact, if we're paying attention, the best tactic of the enemy in your world is not a full-on assault because that increases your urgency. It takes you to your knees. That sends you closer to God. The best strategy is to lull you to sleep. The best strategy of the enemy is Netflix and nothing in particular, convincing you that everything is fine, that nothing is amiss. It's all going to be okay. When I was a missionary in Africa, we, we worked in a city with two years of, of life in South Africa for me. And we're in this big city, 10 million people, skyscrapers, highways, all the stuff. Like Los Angeles, but Africa. Occasionally, we would find ourselves out in the bush. We'd find ourselves on safari. We'd find ourselves out showing people a thing or, or just for random reasons. Okay, I guess we'll be there. 
And we had an experience, I'll tell the story in full one day, but we had an experience where in a, in a, a Land Rover with no doors, my wife is sitting on the edge, she's sitting in the car, there's no door here, it's her, and then it's Africa, it's wild. And at some point, for reasons I will not get into, a fully grown male lion in the wild in Africa stretches and makes its way directly at us and gets close enough that its giant male African mane rubs on her safari-loving leg as it walks by. And she didn't breathe for a while. And we went, that was cool and terrifying. And you might think, that sounds really dangerous. And I would say, it felt kind of dangerous in the moment. That lions, you would say, are dangerous. People would say lions are probably pretty, I bet lions kill a lot of people, don't they? What's the most dangerous animal in Africa? And people go, lion. Well, it might be the most terrifying, but lions killed in 2018, the last year that I'm counting, 22 people. So lions in 2018 killed 22 people. That's still, that's more than zero. That's too many. But, okay, 22 seems like less than I thought it would be. As, as most elementary school science kids will tell you, the most dangerous animal then is not the lion. What is it? They say it's the hippo. My kids would say, Dad, it's the hippo. Hippos in 2018 killed 500 people. So now we're talking about a factor of a, a number that I don't know how to do math. And so it's a bigger number than 22, right? It's a, okay. it's a bigger number. So 22, 500. And then the really smart ones among you and me going back to my kids later today after I did the research and saying, hey, I got one for you. The actual deadliest animal in Africa is not the lion or the hippo. It's the mosquito. Which in 2018 killed 750,000 people because malaria. So in that moment, put yourself in that Land Rover. Put yourself in that open-doored safari vehicle with a full-grown male lion weighing 800 pounds walking directly at my wife and its mane rubbing against her leg ever so softly. And she should have been more worried about the mosquito that landed on her head than the lion rubbing her leg. Lures and deceptions and resistance are small, but they are deadly if we are not aware of them. C.S. Lewis, in his classic Screwtape Letters, writes the story of a senior demon. The whole book is the senior demon who's training his nephew on how to lure Christians out of the faith, essentially. And it's a brilliant book. If you haven't read it, you should read it. The Screwtape Letters. If you would like me to buy you a copy, I will buy it for you. I love it that much. I think every Christian should read it probably more than once. I'm reading it right now for about the fifth or sixth time. He says this. I'm going to let you read it with me. As the senior demon is talking to his nephew, he's trying to teach him the ways of luring the Christian. He says, nothing is very strong. It's strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and it knows not why in the gratification of curiosities so feeble that the man is only half aware of them. You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you're anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But it doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Because murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, sudden turnings, no milestones without signposts. What's he saying? The lure of the enemy is subtle. That the greatest weapon against us is not the calamity in our life that sends us to our knees, 
the greatest weapon the enemy has against modern people is the subtle shifting of our lives. It says, be on guard. I would say Jesus lays these out. I'm going to name them and, and give them all the same letter so you can remember them better um, because that's what we do. But, but I think there are four lures that are in uh, our life that we have to be aware of. So we're going to put four Ds up on the screen. Distraction, dilution, diversion, and delusion. Lure number one, distraction. Harmless things, really. Even for a moment, harmless things. They, they gla- grab a, a flicker of our attention and, and we're just kind of off for a second. No big deal. I'll be right back. There's a, a story I read in the newspaper about this Texas college student in 2012 who was texting and driving. Texting and driving, texting and driving. And legitimately was texting and driving on kind of a curvy road with a gulch on the side. And, and he, he texted his friend, I should really stop texting or I'm going to end up off this cliff. And three seconds later, he ended up off the cliff. Now, thankfully, he survived to tell the story. But they pulled his phone and they said, he literally, he literally said, I should stop. I'm distracted by this texting. I should stop doing this. Otherwise, I'm going to drive right off the cliff. Bring! And he looked again and he looked back up and down he went. This is life for all of us. That the little distraction, the little thing, the little three seconds, the little I'll just spend a minute here, those things begin to steal our focus from what really matters. We need to develop distraction resistance. Like, like some of you, I get so excited when I text somebody and their phone sends me the auto message that says they're more responsible human than I am and that they have do not disturb driving system on or something and it says they'll get back to you when it's more responsible and you're a bad person, you should do this too. And it says that to me. And I'm like, all right, I'm impressed. I used to have that on. Do you know why I turned it off? Sometimes at a red light, I wanted to be able to see what the text said. It's not worth being over the cliff, is it? Because distractions only work when you give them attention. The genius of that thing that sends the auto response is that it doesn't ping you as the receiver. You never even know you got a text until you stop, the car stops, you open your phone, you do the whole thing, and it goes, oh, I had nine texts. I didn't even know. That's the point. So if this kid's phone is being ignored, his truck is not in a gully. He... It's just the way life works. Distractions only work when we give them attention. You didn't mean to scroll social media mindlessly for an hour last night. You just opened your phone to set an alarm. And you looked up, and now you know what everyone you went to high school with had lunch for lunch yesterday. And you're like, how did I even get here? And you're like, oh, I, I forgot. You, we've all done that, where you open your phone, and three minutes later you go, what did I open my phone for? What am I even doing? Affairs don't happen because lightning bolts hit someone's loins. It starts with distraction that's given attention. It starts with a thousand distractions and a thousand concessions given oxygen and attention where they don't need it. It starts with a thousand little concessions, a thousand little yeses that should have been no's, a thousand little distractions that we go, oh, maybe, maybe a second, maybe another, maybe a look, maybe a peek, maybe, okay. I'm not throwing stones, I'm performing an autopsy. Distractions send us over the cliff if we are not careful. Beware the lure of distraction. Number two, dilution. We talked about this some in January. A postmodern world, we are overwhelmed and overloaded with information. You want to look up the meaning of something on the internet? God bless you. Good luck. 
because you can find a thousand meanings for anything because there is no truth and nothing matters and make it all up for yourself. It doesn't matter. It's diluted. It doesn't matter. What do you think this word means? I think it means something different. Fine. You're overwhelmed. You're overloaded. There's a thousand other things for you to worry about today, to think about today. And guess what? One of those things is Jesus. But you got a thousand other things competing. And so we're diluting faith, we're diluting Jesus because we just keep pouring stuff into the soup and pretty soon you can't taste what was in there to begin with. I'm a list guy at the grocery store, like, like hardcore militaristic list kind of guy. I keep all my stuff, I use Alexa to build my shopping list. I'm really hoping that people who are watching online are not having to shut up their home assistant devices because I just keep saying Alexa. Um, Alexa, order diapers. Okay. Um, I, when I'm cooking, I'll be like, Alexa, add lemons to my shopping list on it. Hey, I need more sage on it. Like whatever we're doing. And, and so at the end of the week or whenever I'm about to go shopping, I pull up the list and it's got 93 things on it. It's all things I've asked for wherever I am because it's usually there's something around me that's going to hear it and add it to the list. So I just keep doing it. But I don't go to the grocery store with a phone with a list on a digital device because I'm not insane. I get down and I spend the extra 11 minutes and I take the list and I look around my kitchen and I write it out. And because I am insane, I write it out in a mapped way that directly uh, reflects the Kroger floor plan. And so their layout is my list. So if I'm on the left side of the store, i.e. if I'm in the like uh, meat, deli, bread section, that's on the left side of my list. And so as I make my way from one side of the store to the other, I literally start folding my list smaller and smaller because that's how I know I didn't miss anything. And you thought you had problems. Okay. <laughs> Why do I do this? Why am I insane about this? Because our local Kroger is 135,000 square feet. That is insanity. In our local Kroger, in this tiny little frozen swamp, we have 150,000 unique products. Because vertical shelving. Each of those products, prepare to have your mind blown, has a company behind it with people meeting in a boardroom, maybe right now, trying to figure out how to make it as enticing and delicious as possible for you. 150,000 separate products with different companies trying to lure you to buy their extra Pop-Tarts, to buy their Lucky Charms, to buy. And so you go in and you're like, I don't even want, I didn't come in for that. If you don't have the list, you're hosed. I was in there last Sunday. I needed one thing. I knew what it was. I wrote it down. I needed one thing and I wrote it down because we've all been in there before and you go, what did I come in here for? And you look in your cart, and you have nine things of Lucky Charms and a honey-baked ham, and you're like, I don't really know why I'm, oh. I walked in last week, and there was a couple in the aisles having this discussion, and I went, oh, I'm using these people. They don't even know it. And they're arguing with each other over what sounds good for lunch. They have a cart with hundreds of dollars of food, and they're going, what, does that sound good to you? I don't know. Does that sound good to you? Uh, let's keep looking. And they might have been in there for days. They might still be there. The, who knows? They didn't have a list. You got to have a list. Why? Because it's 150,000 products competing for your attention. It is so easy to become overwhelmed and overloaded, and then you can't remember what you're there for. And guess what? That is what faith is like, because our mission gets lost in a sea of nothing in particular. In a sea of, well, I wasn't really prepared. Our mission gets lost. We wake up and go, how did I get here? What was I even here for? Faith? What? We wake up on our deathbed and go, man, I really wish I would have lived my life for the thing I actually thought had meaning but I just kind of got lost along the way. 
Dilution replaces mission focus with nothing in particular, and like C.S. Lewis said, nothing is very strong. So beware the lure of dilution. Third, diversion. Third lure is diversion. Unlike distraction, which is sort of incidental, like, oh, look at, you know, a squirrel, diversion is intentional. It's meant to grab your focus. Back when we only had a few channels, kids gather around the fire. When we only had a few channels on the television and the remote control was your youngest child, when we only had three or four channels, what happened is when there was breaking news, it was literally a guy breaking into your scheduled programming. It's Dan Rather, Walter Cronkite sitting at a desk going, we now have breaking news. We now interrupt this regular program for, and they would tell you what's happening. Oh, okay, this must be important. Everybody in America now has to watch this thing. These days, everything's breaking news all the time, everywhere. Doesn't matter what it is. But I remember the first time when I was like profoundly affected by this sort of, this this giant diversion breaking news sort of thing. It was uh, June 17th, 1994, uh, middle school, high schoolish. I was a basketball fan and the Knicks were in the finals. Big deal, they hadn't been in the finals. They're pretty terrible generally. And the Knicks were in the NBA finals. It's awesome. I was watching, I think it's game five maybe. And then all of a sudden, I said, what is happening? What is happening? What are you doing? Because they broke into the game and they put that on. (laughs) The juice is loose. That's what they said. The juice is loose. People, he's on the run. And O.J. Simpson in his white Ford Bronco going 27 miles an hour through hundreds of miles of Los Angeles highways, captivated an entire nation, and every channel you would turn to just had this static picture of this white Bronco being chased by 612 California Highway Patrolmen. And here I am, 14 years old, as close as I can get to our dumb 20-inch square television, standard definition, it's not 80 inches like yours is now, and I'm trying to see the little corner box to see what's happening in my game. And I'm mad at the juice. I don't like the juice anymore. I'm out on the juice because the juice was loose and he ruined my game and everybody went there. There's a famous picture from the bowels of Madison Square Garden where the game is happening where people whose full-time job it is is to get paid to watch the game, commentate, write things. None of them are watching it. They're all in the basement of the arena gathered around a television watching O.J. Simpson run from the police. It's a diversion. That's not anything that mattered to them. They had no control over it. It didn't do anything for them. But it sure was interesting. Look, breaking news. Let's watch that instead of this. What it did to me is it ripped my focus away from what my intention was. My intention was to give my attention to the basketball game. And this ripped my focus away, eventually trying to convince me that maybe this was pretty interesting. And thus Court TV was born. And an entire nation watched O.J. Simpson's trial. I remember being in art class when the verdict got announced over the PA system in high school. I was trying to learn about art. One more diversion. The enemy that we have is called the father of lies. Diversions are sneaky lies in that whether in personal life circumstances or big worldwide events, they steal our focus and tell us that lesser things are important. They entice us with fascination or control. They steal what matters from out from under us. It's like a heist movie. You ever seen a heist movie and there's always someone who goes to make a diversion? You make a diversion, we'll rob the bank. Whatever it is, there's always, let you go make a diversion. Men, they're everywhere. And they come at you and they come at you and they come at you. And if you are not watching for them, 
You will get tricked into following the diversion and missing the thing that matters. This week, what was the biggest thing this week for us? We had a dance. We had over 300 people here, 137 dads, don't know how to do anything, don't know how to dance. They're sweating. They're out of shape. They had the best night of their life because their little girls were happy. Let me tell you what we do with this dance. Here's, here's one thing we do. We make this the coat room on purpose, not because we don't have enough hooks in the building. We've got plenty of hooks all over the place. We make this the coat room because I want every dad who's never been to church to have to walk into this church and get a sense for what it would be like to sit here on a Sunday morning so that on Easter or Christmas or whenever it is that the Holy Spirit nudges them and says, maybe you should go to church. That dad goes, well, I've been in that church before. Maybe it's safe. They gave me a good experience. Maybe I'll go there. We don't care if they come here now or ever. What we want them to do is find their way into the kingdom of heaven. If this is their first step, God bless them. So we are strategic, we plan for this, we spend months for this, we spend so many hours, so many dollars, so many resources, so that we might plant the seed of the gospel in hearts with grace and love and faith that's overwhelming them. And they're like, when's the sermon? And we go, have a great night. And they go, wow, that was awesome. So this week, I had six or seven huge diversions pop up. Grenade in this room, bomb over there, one after another. Hey, give this attention. Hey, give this some oxygen. Hey, give this attention. And some of them are real and they are heavy and it's life. And we deal with them when we can and we get less sleep and we just keep moving through. But I got a few text messages yesterday, day of the dance, setting up the last things, putting the last finishing touches on, making sure the experience is right for guests that don't know Jesus. And I was getting messages and I literally had to say to people whose lives are falling apart, I said, I can't deal with this right now because the main thing today is to make sure this thing happens and I will respond to you in brief now and maybe fuller in the week to come. I have to stay focused on the thing at hand. It's not easy. But the diversion was the enemy saying, what if, you, what if you ignored all the things that you set out to do on mission and you dealt with this other thing that can wait? So we said, no, we stay on the thing. We stay on the course. We stay focused. We do what we're here to do. And those things will wait. Diversions are compelling in the moment, but they are intent on stealing our hearts from what truly matters. Fourth and finally, delusion. We suffer from delusion. Let me define delusion for you. Believing false things or uh, the earth is flat, you know, that kind of idea. Oh, well, maybe it is. How do you know? Okay, believing false things two flat earthers get up and walk out. They're like, oh, can't come here anymore. Okay. Um, or believing true things with a false level of importance. This is more dastardly. Believing false things or believing true things but giving them a false level of importance. This is delusion. Lures in general are, are a thing. They're rooted in our desire for meaning, but delusion in particular plays in our desire for meaning and transcendence. We are desperate for meaning and transcendence. We are starving for meaning and transcendence. A couple in the, in the grocery store that's still there right now shopping, arguing over a honey-baked ham, they were starving and they're delusional and they're just going back and forth. They're so off topic, they don't even know where they are, but they're hungry for anything because they're starving. When you go to the grocery store, you end up buying stuff you don't want. Why? Because you're hungry and everything looks good. Don't shop hungry. When you're starving for meaning in life, you get it anywhere you can find it. How many of you watched the Super Bowl? Super Bowl, by show of hands, how many watched the Super Bowl? I'm just trying to get a rough percentage, no judgment here. Okay, good, good for you, close enough. I'm here to inform you that the Super Bowl is objectively meaningless, just so you know. I was explaining to somebody what I said, well, how would, I was talking to my daughter, and I said, how would we explain the Super Bowl to somebody who just landed here from Mars? Because they would say that there are grown men in plastic hats 
with animal print this year in tight pants chasing around an animal skin. And we would have to go, oof, yeah, that's football. Next, it's not football, it's basketball, everything, everything, music. It's all, at some level, it's all sort of meaningless. And the only thing that gives meaning is the meaning maker, is the creator. And so everything we kind of are into is sort of meaningless unless it's rooted in something with greater meaning. So don't lose that. Don't, he hates football. No. The Super Bowl was objectively meaningless. And yet, 70% of us watch part of it. Why? Because having a favorite commercial or recounting a big play or being able to talk about it with your friends has social capital. It adds to the meaning of life because now we're in it with other people. We're together in this. We did the thing together. We, we, we watched it together. We weren't together, but we were together. I love going to the BGSU basketball games. Why? Well, I want to support my friend who's coaching. And that's fun, but it's kind of sneaky fun to have 3,000 people all cheering for the same thing at the same time. That feels, you know what that's called? It's called transcendence. All part of something bigger than ourselves. It feels good. Now, the, the result between Western Michigan and Bowling Green State University in basketball in 2021 or 1986 or 2050 is objectively meaningless in the scope of the universe. But for a moment, it feels pretty good. So we have to be careful that we don't delude ourselves into thinking that meaningless things are meaningful in believing that things have greater importance than they really do. You ever heard about delusions of grandeur? You know that phrase, delusions? He had delusions of grandeur. I got asked this week uh, for about the 612th time, but the first time in a while, if uh, we were like uh, my family, we're looking at going to a bigger church or a bigger city, which is I get asked pretty relatively frequently less than I used to because when we got here, I didn't know this, that at a college town, People kind of transition in and they transition out. You kind of build your way up and you go to a bigger place. And you start at this university and you go to the more prestigious one. Or you start at coaching here and you get to the next job or something like that. I don't know. So it caught me by surprise. We were kind of offended when we first got asked, how many are you going to be here two, three years? What do you think? And I was like, what do you think? I don't know. You getting rid of me already? And I came to realize what it was. It was kind of a baked-in psychology of the place, but there's an understanding among humanity that people don't leave a church. I left a church of 2,000 people. You don't leave a church of 2,000 people to come to a church of less than that. And if you do, you must have an agenda to try to get back to a bigger thing. Maybe he's climbing the ladder, but we, we have to prove himself here, and then he's going to sit out his resume. And, and to the day, I, I would really like to be here for the rest of my life, so you're going to have to deal with me until they kick me out. But when I get asked, I know where it's rooted. That for most of us, we carry delusions of grandeur, that somehow kingdom work in a bigger city or with more YouTube followers or kingdom work with six more people in the chairs instead of kingdom work would be more important if there was like a bigger audience, which is rubbish. Kingdom work is where you find yourself. Kingdom work is where God has called you. Kingdom work, that's where kingdom work is. But I don't resent the fact that people still ask on occasion, hey, when are you going to go to a bigger place? I said, that's just not what this is. But we've been trained to think that there's, we have these delusions of grandeur. Well, we're only important as we grow in the scope of worldly status. That's nonsense. The problem is we take meaningful things and we make them the point. We take meaningful things and we make them the big idea. We give ultimate meaning to things that are just happenstance. God doesn't care whether our church is 200 people or 20 people or 20,000 people. God cares about individual hearts and lives. God cares about long faithfulness. God cares about heart after his own. 
When we get caught up in other things, we, we, we develop delusions about the way the world works and about what we're here for. Jesus said we gain the whole world and lose our souls. So beware the lure of delusion. Okay, so how do we overcome? Let's close. How do we overcome this? Jesus said there's no silver bullet and no magic formula. He didn't say it that way, but I'm saying it for him. I'm paraphrasing. There's no magic bullet. There's no just trick to, to life. What he said that we read is staying with it is what's required. Stay with it till the end, he said. Staying with it is what's required. Guys, what do you do when the lures of the enemy, what do you do in the resistance of the world? What do you do as the enemy crashes in on you? What do you do? Stay with it. That's what's required. Start with having awareness that there are lures everywhere. And that awareness then opens the path to you to be able to resist. You cannot resist what you don't know is working against you. So know the enemy, know his plans. Maybe those four Ds help you. Maybe you call them something else. Then stay with Jesus. Keep chasing Jesus. I'm going to make it consistency is what we're after. Consistency is not sexy. You've never driven down the highway and seen a billboard that says, consistency. It's what makes our products pretty good. Like, Nobody's after consistency. We have delusions of grandeur. We want big. We want great. We want all. Consistency is what we've been called to. Stay with it. That's what's required. Stay with it till the end. Consistency is the foundation of faithfulness. It's the foundation of love. It is the foundation of everything. And why we feel that, why we know that, why something in us goes, I think that's right, is because if you look at the person of Christ, if you look at the, the Father, the Creator, if you look at God, what is God if not consistent? unshakable, unchangeable, everlasting, always loving, unconditional. That's consistency played out over time. Your job as a follower of Christ is not to be a superstar, it's to be consistent. To chase Jesus every single day. When scripture says pray without ceasing, it's saying pray consistently, keep going. Stay with it, don't give up. What then, Jesus? You won't be sorry. You'll be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for uh, helping us to increase our awareness of what comes against us. Father, for each person in the room, my prayer is that we would all be able to identify, maybe even if it's just one of these lures in our life, that we would all be able to identify the one thing that we're most at risk of falling victim to. And then, God, I pray that you would give us a path out, that you would retrain our focus on you, that you would retrain our eyes to you and what really matters. God, restore the meaning, the ultimate capital M meaning of our lives. Remind us of why we signed up to follow you in the first place. And then, Father, protect us Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us into long days of beautiful obedience and pure consistency, chasing you and nothing less. Thank you for this space and this time. Thank you for your son. We pray in his name. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.